This episode of the Good Pop Culture Club is brought to you by the Ma E Theater Company of New York and their newest production of Once Upon a Korean Time, written by Daniel K. Isaac. Now, we here at Good Pop are big fans of all sorts of pop culture, uh, books, TV, movies, uh, and that also includes theater. Uh, the Ma E Theater Company is a professional, award winning nonprofit 501c3 organization founded in 1989, whose primary mission is to develop and produce new and innovative plays by Asian American writers. Since its founding, Ma E has distinguished itself as one of the country's leading incubators of new works, shaping local and national conversations about what it means to be Asian American today. Day. Their latest play, Once Upon a Korean Time, mixes traditional Korean fables with the horrors of the Korean War. Daniel K. Isaac's epic new play is a funny and deeply moving analog for the experiences of the Korean American diaspora. Isaac deftly moves his characters through time, tracing the legacies of trauma that are passed on from one generation to the next, and the various coping mechanisms each one uses to soldier on. The show promises sea kings, bubbles, tigers, generational traumas, and of course, barbecue. Previews begin on August 23rd at La Mama's Ellen Stewart Theater in New York City, and the show will have a limited run through September 18th. So if you are lucky enough to be in the New York area, or if you're planning to take a trip out there over the next month, um, definitely check it out. Um, tickets are available now at maitheater.org. Um, that's M-A-Y-I-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org. And just for good pop listeners, you can get discounted tickets at $30 by using our exclusive discount code GOODPOP. Um, that's GOODPOP, all caps. And now, the show. You're listening to... Whoa! Hot luck. And what is poppin' everybody? It is episode 117 of the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, my name is Marvin Yuet, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have um, the most professional Asian, the most professional <laughs> culture editor, Han Win. Hey, Han. Hey. Hey. It's just you and me again. Yep. Uh, Jess is still in India. Yeah, our co-host Jess is attending uh, one of those multi-day Indian weddings. Um the types that I'm, I'm running out of Indian friends to attend weddings for. Mm. Um, and it makes me sad that I might not have this experience. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's really hot out there right now. I don't know if I want to be out there. Well, I still haven't attended an Indian wedding either. And I'm really bummed about that. So if anyone listening to the podcast wants to like befriend us, invite us. I am also of the age where that first wave of um, weddings is not happening. Um, <laughs> the fact that I know Jess gives me hope that I get invited to her wedding and then, of course, you. Um, <laughs> but maybe I will go to the round of second marriages, you know, for people. Uh, I feel like those are that. typically more low key, right? Yeah, but they it, depending on what the story is, you know, mm, um, I know I know a lady who um, met her husband by commenting on a facebook post of her friends and the guy lived in scotland and then they just sort of like talked on facebook messenger for a while and uh so she is married and moved to scotland um but she has a grown son um so he's an adult now in the states um without her and uh they did have a scottish wedding because i looked because <laughs> i was i mean a destination wedding in scotland yeah. does sound yes. pretty cool yeah and the yeah. thing with destination weddings is you can keep it small because not everyone's willing to fly out across yes. the ocean you know yeah um but i don't know i kind of i get it though because even like planning even the smaller wedding that i'm planning on doing the numbers go up real fast yeah it's like a yeah. whole thing and yeah I don't assume that I'm getting invited to everyone's wedding that I actually know because like I remember I had a coworker who invited me and I was like, really? Like, <laughs> really? You want me there? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. Because and she has my- head count and she needs to make sure people eat the food that they buy. Her her thing was a production though. So, yeah. Um, I, I, I'll go into it another time. <laughs> anyway, yes. But yeah, no, we're not here to talk about um, wedding and wedding culture. Although... Um, one of these days, we should probably watch a show that talks about that so we can talk about it, especially yeah. since um, both Jess and I are in the throes of it um, pretty soon. Um, I think, but- yeah, I think The Big Day, is that the one I wanted to check out? It's all about <laughs> Indian weddings. Anyway, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we are here today to talk about 
The Sandman, the latest Ooh. Netflix series uh, based on the iconic comic book series by Neil Gaiman. But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is speaking us through this week. Um, so, Han, what's popping in the world of Westeros? <laughs> <laughs> As you might have uh, gleaned from that intro, um, the thing I'm going to talk about is House of the Dragon. I am deep within the fantasy series, um, I don't know, portion of the fall, I guess. Um, It's not quite the fall, but almost um, because also Lord of the Rings is coming up and I watched the screeners for that. But so House of the Dragon has premiered. It is the prequel series to Game of Thrones. Um, I have also watched... uh, Three more episodes. I also, you know, and I have more screeners to, you know, plow through. Um, For those of you, I guess, who might have watched Game of Thrones and are interested in this and maybe have thoughts about it. But the prequel series focuses on the Targaryen house um, or actually House Targaryen. And um, if you know a couple things about Targaryens is, well, three things. One, they're peroxide blondes. Two, they ride dragons. And then three, incest. So <laughs> I was going to ask, we, how incesty is this show? Because <laughs> the original series gets really incesty real quick. It it takes a little while, but yeah, get, you, it gets incesty very quick, quickly enough um, to the point where I got really disturbed because technically the... Um, the creator, co-creators of this series are like, we're not going to show a lot of sexual violence. doesn't mean that they won't show sex, um, but they definitely had like intimacy coordinators. So you don't see the sex like we would have previously. Um, and, but we still see brothels um, and we see uh, light incest. And then I'm sure there's bigger incest coming because that is why people go mad later on in the Targaryen bloodline. Um, so yeah, that's very disturbing (laughs) and it's a weird premise to kind of build a series on. I mean, it's not, the series isn't built on incest, but since you're following this particular household, yes, there's going to be lots of incest. Um, I mean, that was kind of how it was back then, right? Like the nobles believed that their bloodlines were like sacred. So they need to a certain extent, to a certain extent, but it was more of like second cousin or whatever, because, yes, you're right. They usually did want nobles to marry nobles. And so that's how you also got like hemophilia being like rampant in one bloodline because they kept, you know, breed- inbreeding. Um, however, this one is that a lot of people consider. So um, the father of Daenerys Targaryen, who we know from Game of Thrones, was known as Mad King Eris. A lot of people think he's very much based on Caligula, who was like all about marrying his sister. So um, there are definitely some way closer incesty things going on here um, that are disturbing and also suggestions of such. Uh, uh, I don't want to go too much into that, but just be aware. If you haven't watched it yet, this is what you're getting yourself into. There are definitely some dragons. I hate to say it. They make the dragons kind of boring. Um, there's definitely a lot more CG dragon stuff, though. So that's good. But they don't give them personalities. And I think that's the thing that was I, I'm missing from what they did in Game of Thrones, where you knew the names of each of them and you saw the relationships with their writers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there's definitely violence um of a warlike nature i just don't think so personally i don't think any of the characters are as immediately intriguing as any of the ones in game of thrones because you think about the first episode of game of thrones you had you pick your stark right and even the the so-called villains were so morally gray that you ended up liking them at times so you know you like Jamie Lannister, despite his incest, and you like Littlefinger, you know, um, at times, or at least you enjoy watching him. And here, it's kind of less. <laughs> I mean, it's also a testament to the actors, right? Like um, Nikolai Costello. Costello Wilder. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's a very good looking man. And um, the guy who plays um, Littlefinger, Aiden, Aiden, what's it? Gillen. Yeah, Aiden Gillen is just like, I still remember him as Carchetti from The Wire, which you haven't seen yet, right? Right, right, right. I have. <laughs> Because I can't half-ass that show, and now I can't like. He get also into has it. a really good role in um, *Peaky Blinders* too. If you ever yeah, he's a great that. actor, yeah. and and he, not to say that these people are not great actors, because you know I like 
Patty Considine. I love the fact that Patty Considine is the mm-hmm. daddy emperor who is like just in way over his head because, you know, he's played a lot of serious roles, but I know him best for his comedic roles, especially in Hot Fuzz and The World's oh. End. <laughs> and so oh, like, yeah. I love that. He, I love that they're they're getting like like they didn't get like a, a meathead to play like the emperor like or someone yeah, like big and imposing. They, he's just like a dude who's like he, doesn't know what to do. Yeah, he's all right. And we got some other big names, uh Reese Ifans, um, I found whatever. Uh and and then even like the young actress who plays the daughter, uh Renera, um, she's they're all fine and decent. I just don't know if I care about their characters. So uh, I feel like things are also a little bit more explicitly like, here's what you're supposed to think, you know, whereas I think Game of Thrones kind of let you sort of keep on guessing about someone's nature. Mm. So or even went back and forth on people. So um, anyway. Yeah. I mean, I feel like people aren't watching House of the Dragon who weren't already watching Game of Thrones. Right. Yeah, I, I can't like, see newbies. Yeah, yeah, I can't see newbies jumping into this. Uh, I would also tell newbies just go back to Game of Thrones. Honestly, like watch for the first three seasons, um, spoil yourself on the last ones, and then you can watch this if you want. But that sounds like a horrible experience too. Yeah, <laughs> and it really does feel like the stakes are not as high, right? Like Game of Thrones started like a generation after like a coup, right? Yeah. Like there's a new administration that is going through crisis because of succession whereas this is like this is a long-running empire who's going through a succession crisis because of like mm-hmm. you know family incesty issues right Be- well because of uh sexism oh. so uh, yeah yeah i've read some things about how this show is more active in addressing sexism yes, um, yes. which i get as a show in 2022 is probably the right move to, to go but at the same time, as a prequel, you kind of know it's all going like. Right. So the the sexism still exists. They just address it more. So mm. it's kind of like, well, kind of the same thing as like the incest is still going to happen. You know? <laughs> like, does that make it better that they're self-aware? I don't know. Um, when we talk about the Asians of uh, House of the Dragon, there's really only one that matters. Uh, Sonoya Mizuno. Um, she does play a prostitute, a whore, um, but she does have a slightly bigger role later on in the season. She also her character is bigger and more important than um, in the series than the book than in the book. So they oh. knew. I mean, you're going to cast her. You can't just throw her away. Right. So, um, yeah, there's I- that at least. I, I'm interested. I don't know if, see, I'm not as invested in either of the big fantasy series coming out like this or Lord of the Rings to like really commit myself to watching it. Yeah. I might just stick to like the, the um, roundup videos that come out like the day after to catch what happens. I will, when it's legally possible, (laughs) share my, um, thoughts about lord of the rings all i can say now is that i have seen the first two episodes um and my general impressions is that it looks good visually yeah I mean, but it's expensive <laughs> yeah i mean that's the other thing is you know after watching the sandman which i liked but the the visual effects kept me wanting i was wondering mm-hmm. like how are the visual effects for um house of the dragon and lord of the rings house of the dragon seems fine to me i still have screeners that are early cuts so i can't say exactly what it looks like um live you know for the finished and then same with lord of the rings um what i saw were almost finished and um definitely you can see the money on the screen that's Mm -hmm. all i can say um i can't talk about the story or anything else so (laughs) all right yeah um but anyway so i guess I mean, my toe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's what's going to be in the zeitgeist for the foreseeable future until it either shits the bed or, you know, HBO decides to pull it, which I think I, it's I, safe, right? Because it's HBO proper, not HBO Max. Right. It's HBO proper, but also its premiere actually did get good numbers. Um, I think the concept of the um, appointment viewing, um, HBO still has Sunday nights locked up. Hmm. So even if people don't love it, they're still going to watch it. And get something from it, like just their end of the week, you know, like hit. So uh, I don't I don't foresee people 
leaving too much. Um, I do think House of the Dragon gets better in subsequent episodes. I thought the premiere was a, a snooze. <laughs> so um, I think it was just a lot of table setting, a lot of exposition. Mm. Um, and then once you n- know the characters, uh, episodes two, three, four that I've seen definitely yeah. kind of dive into it better. Yeah, I mean, that's just a general weakness of science fiction fantasy shows. It's just you're you're describing a whole new world, so you have to set the rules up. And except, you know, some people are better at it than others, you know. Except, yeah, Game of Thrones first episode, still a classic. You kill a you you push a kid off a tower. That's how you end an episode, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, I, I mean, I, that's one of the things I do have to say. Early Game of Thrones, I actually enjoyed. So anyway, yeah. so that's me. What's popping with you, Marvin? I started watching um, Junior Bake Off, which I discovered on Netflix. Like it, it just premiered on Netflix. It's been going on for like a six or seven seasons now in the UK, but it is the kids' version of the Great British Bake Off. It uses you know, the same soundtrack, you know, the same aesthetics, but now you have a bunch of little kids running around freaking out about cakes. And so I watched the first episode, and I mean, first off, you know, Paul Hollywood is not in this version which probably a good thing because i can't imagine paul hollywood being good with kids i mean you look we said that about like gordon ramsay and he's actually pretty good with kids although paul hollywood does not have the same charisma that gordon ramsay does despite Mm. gordon ramsay's sort of like shaky you know other persona but yeah uh yeah I, i i agree i don't i just can't see him like actually being genuinely cute and fun (laughs) (laughs) yeah and while i can see you know noel being fun with kids yeah i I keep matt lucas away from them please (laughs) oh yeah yeah i mean matt lucas in general is not funny (laughs) so i don't need him making awkward jokes yeah right but um this version is hosted by um a man named harry hill who i guess is a comedian he does a lot of like slapstick he's definitely gives off like children's host vibes but the man dresses like he's going to clubbing in the 70s he's wearing the biggest collars and the deepest v's and you can see a lot of hair coming out of that v um but i guess um, it is a kid's show so he does everything big and the kids seem to like him so i guess it's doable I just, I just couldn't um i just couldn't get over how big his collar was and when you watch the show i'm sure you'll notice how big his collar is yeah and check this with me uh even though it's been out several seasons over there, it doesn't start with season one here, right? Yeah, we get season six. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we don't want one through five. Like, maybe it was all really crappy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. So, yeah, I need um, to check that at some point. But um, the, the judges are interesting. The judges are um, Liam Charles, who was a former contestant on the British Bake Off. Uh, I don't know if you remember. He was like the hyperactive black kid who was like always just like, yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah he's just a big kid and he fits in well with the other kids and then the other judge kind of the straight man the prue to the paul hollywood is um ravnik gill who is a south asian pastry chef um okay. and uh, and tv host so um they have pretty good chemistry they're pretty good with the kids um she's kind of more the serious one to liam's kind of goofball and then the interesting thing about the season is they do two heats so two groups of kids gets whittled down to, I guess, four each, and then they do a final round. So you get, like, a ton more kids. But at the same time, like, none of them really stick out. It's kind of – I know we said we like Great British Bake Off because it's, like, nice and, you know, light and just easy viewing. You know, there's strong personalities, but there's not a lot of, like, drama. It's very pleasant. Um, this is more of the same except with children – but for some reason, it's a little bit more boring. And I think it maybe it's because you're dealing with children. And so you can't have like that bite to the show, you know? Yeah. I mean, the original Bake Off, original flavor Bake Off, um, the tension comes from the amount of skill and whether or not someone can execute. So with the kids, I, I feel, not having watched it, um, that while there is a you know better skill than I do have, <laughs> I am not a baker. Um, they probably can't push them to the limits as an adult because that would be cruel. So you probably can't have some really, really, really hard challenges. So maybe there's just not the tension there. Yeah. And just something about them being kids. They're all just very precocious. They're like, oh, this, 
you know, when they did intros, so-and-so was from this place. And when they grow up, they want to be a blank. And I think because they're like just blank slates at this point, you don't really get like you get the personality, but you don't only get like the the history, right? You only get like, okay, this person is like you don't get like not just <laughs> this is gonna sound terrible, but like you, you don't get a full person with these kids, right? You get like just a bunch of balls of energy, which is fun. Like this there's one kid who um have you ever seen Jojo Rabbit? Yes. Do you remember the character Yorkie um uh, played by yeah. Archie something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty much Yorkie in a bake off tent. And he is fantastic he's just like mm-hmm. having the best time of his life he's like making a mistake once every like five minutes but he's just having the greatest time and says oh well i'm just i'll just go with it um uh, whereas you have other kids uh, who like start like you know freaking out and start making mistakes and <laughs> this is gonna sound bad for me but i kind of wanted them to cry because it would inject <laughs> some drama into this show you're just cruel <laughs> where's, um, you, where's your drama man <laughs> Um, and I think part of what made it drag was there's only two challenges per episode. It's the technical and the showstopper. So they don't do the signature. Um, mm. And, you know, I think I get it as a producer. I get it because, you know, if you do three challenges, you're there for two days. And if you're bringing kids for the show, that means you're also bringing their parents. And so those costs go up the roof when you do two days. So I get why it's only a two challenge episode, but it's mm-hmm. still a full episode length. And so everything just seems so dragged on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is just how starved we are for like the next season of Bake Off. Like, I will watch this kids version. Yeah. I'm also just happy for a certain TV that I don't have to pay attention to and I don't have to report <laughs> on. So I definitely won't be writing about Junior Bake Off, probably. That, mm. That's, you know, famous last words. But <laughs> so I'm happy that it's on that, yeah. or that we have access. Yeah. And, you know, on a more positive note, the kids are very talented. Like, mm-hmm. you're not getting a lot of, like, nailed it here. Because mm-hmm. all the kids yeah. know the basics, you know. Yeah, so. we, don't, we don't need nailed it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm rooting for Yorkie, not Yorkie. I'm rooting for um, <laughs> not Yorkie, even though I'm pretty sure he's not going to make it to the end. Like the the old, the two older kids definitely have an edge over everyone in that tent. Um, so I'm sure it's something that my partner and I will put on in the background mm-hmm. when we're doing other things, just because it's it's not exactly riveting television, but it's still a pleasant watch. So um, if you're looking for one of those shows, definitely check it out. Yay. And with that, let's take a break, take a nap, and when we wake up, we'll be in the dreaming with the Sandman. Stick around. Hi, I'm Shinyi Pai, host of the podcast Blue Suit. In a world full of stuff, what do we choose to hold on to? The Blue Suit is a podcast about commonplace objects and the people who transform them into something remarkable. From an inherited Chinese-English dictionary to an old caliphone playing records left behind by Japanese-Americans incarcerated during World War II, our podcast showcases modern-day artifacts of Asian America and what gets elevated to heirloom status. Find it by searching for The Blue Suit wherever you get your podcasts. and I co-host the podcast Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like, a podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week, we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in Baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone, especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club on this episode, we're talking about The Sandman, the new Netflix original series based on the series of comics um, written by Neil Gaiman, which follows the adventures of Morpheus, the king of dreams, as he tries to regain his powers after he was captured by humans for over a century. 
that's the basic synopsis. Um, there's a lot more. Like many Neil Gaiman stories, it's a story about gods and humans and anthropomorphized abstract concepts. Um, yeah. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is one of his earlier works, right? Yeah, for sure. It was um, late 80s, yeah. uh, early 90s. Um, the show is developed by Neil Gaiman, David Esquire, and Alan Heinberg, and stars Tom Sturridge as the Dream. This um, this series has been in development in one form or another for ever since the comics, right? Ever since like the 90s, I want to say. Yeah, it was such a, I don't know, uh, a pivotal graphic novel series that every geek in the world knew about uh, Sandman. And it, so it was just kind of like, who's going to be able to, to do this? And that was like the key. It's like, it's not who wants to do it, who can do it right and do it justice. And uh, Neil Gaiman like nixed many, many, you know, versions or at least attempts to do them until this one. So it took this long. We were also imprisoned or whatever <laughs> for that long <laughs> until, you know, until Dream was able to emerge in 2022. Um, yeah. I mean, what was... How did you first hear about the Sandman? It was in the 80s, 90s, um, because I actually in the 80s, I actually did read a lot of comics. Um, I just couldn't afford them because it's an expensive habit, especially before there are such things as subscriptions to digital things. Um, so I actually never read Sandman all the way through. I only like borrowed um, volumes here and there for friends. And so I knew the basic concept but um i am now eyeing uh the full box set to see if i can get it for my birthday (laughs) um and see but yeah so i was always familiar with it since that time and i honestly didn't think it would ever get made but the fact that neil gaiman has gotten many of his other properties made including american gods um and that one was actually pretty decent so i think maybe people finally understood like oh we can do this personification of concepts and stuff like that and maybe with netflix money it'll make sense <laughs> so yeah i mean i think the biggest thing for him was just control over what is mm-hmm. being depicted right because now from what i read the original the sandman because it was a dc property they were going to make him into a superhero type of movie oh, he- which doesn't work because it's not it's not a superhero story like no the no, sandman it- is not a he's not a crusading you know, vigilante. In fact, he doesn't really give a shit about crime for the most part, <laughs> unless right. it's crimes against him. Right, right. It's he's he is part of the nature of humanity as far as like our experiences. So he can't necessarily be good or bad and weigh in and affect those things. Um, I mean, it doesn't mean that other others of his siblings <laughs> of the other endless siblings um, might not try to, you know, cross the line and do things. But um, yeah. So I think he kind of walks that line pretty well. He he also is not human. And so there is the idea of him learning humanity, I guess, even <laughs> though what he does affects humans. Um, yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. That's a I cool mean, point. I mean, the story is less of a superhero story and more of like a coming of age for like this. Mm-hmm ageless god right Right. um i remember i first heard the sandman because um as a kid i played a lot of video games so i was really into the final fantasy series growing up and the main artist behind like that series drew a run of the sandman comics so that's when it first came into my periphery i didn't know it was written by neil gaiman until way later oh yeah 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 i mean because it was his first really big thing um, I think we just knew the Sandman and kind of the look of the comic, but then only later when more and more of his projects started getting made, then you were like, you connect it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. All right. So before we get started for this discussion of the Sandman, we're going to be pretty liberal with our spoilers. So this is your spoiler warning that if you have not seen the Sandman yet, this would be a good time to put a pause on this podcast. Go watch um, the 10 episodes on Netflix plus the bonus episode and then come back and listen to our thoughts. We'll wait here as long as it takes for you to finish the series. Um, and if you don't care about spoilers or if you would like to watch um, the series while being tainted by our hot takes, um, please continue listening. But yeah, let's get started. Han. What are your general thoughts? How did uh, Netflix do with their adaptation? 
I mean, not bad. I definitely think it got the look. I like the initial story because the deal is because it is a graphic novel and it has like many, many volumes. Um, you do get if you've watched the whole series by now, you you see it. It's in chunks. So there's like an arc here, a standalone here, another arc here. They all connect, but they definitely you you can like have starts and stops yeah i did not expect it to be so episodic like i thought yeah. okay maybe it's like an anthology series maybe um and, i mean yeah because you don't really get these types of shows anymore it's either serialized or it's anthology but you don't really get like the loosely contained like within a season at least like loosely yeah. contained arcs that also seem episodic i was really happy about that too because in the age of creators being stupid and saying that their tv shows are 10 hour movies like this <laughs> this this understands that it is not um and i think that the insulting part of that whole 10 hour movies situation is that no one wants to watch a 10 hour movie um so having episodes and telling contained stories within each episode and then threading it to the next is actually a skill um because every episode does feel pretty good Yes, you want more, but you're not like they, it's not like they had a, a two hour episode and they cut it in half. Right. So you definitely can feel like you can pause for the night and go on if you want. Um, but yeah, so I thought that in itself was fun because honestly, if it was a full season telling just one story, it might have been a bit too much because that world is very dense. Right. Um and maybe I needed these sort of like narrative breaks in order to kind of like just get a little relief. So that was good. Um, the There's also more inclusive casting. Um, there's some gender bends. There are also some race bends, uh, which is makes all the sense in the world, uh, which was nice. And I'm trying to think what else. There were some inconsistencies, but we'll we'll drill down there. But I did like the inclusive casting. Of course, there should be more. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just because characters are depicted one way or another on uh, in the comics doesn't mean it has to stay the same, especially when they're like abstract concepts, right? For sure. Same with gender. Like that's the other thing I like. So, like, just to call out two of them, um, uh, dream siblings all have names that start with D. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Death, desire, despair. Um, so death in the comic book is played by a very pale white um, character, a woman. And here, Kirby Howell Batiste plays her and she's great. Uh, she, like, I don't know if you remember her. She had a brief um, part in The Good Place um, mm. and has been in other things before. And she's here not only just like a great death, but she's also hot. Um <laughs> I, I thought it was very interesting also for them and, and good for them to choose a non-binary person, Mason Alexander Park, to play Desire because Desire is not tied to, you know, a gender. And so that was that was kind of like brilliant, I think, on their part. Um, I do have other comments about those if we <laughs> once we go. To I mean, I, I read your comment and I, I do yeah. agree. Like, yeah, it does really seem like a lot of the big villains of the the series i've also been the po- people who have been coded queer um which right. is kind of a weird choice um although i kind of feel like as concepts i'm pretty sure like both dream and death are also probably right if anything pansexual you know or absolutely whatever. however we don't actually see dream um with any one other than women they've only talked about exes who are women you know and so i was just like and you know he is coded as male so i would have loved it if they had you know hooked him up with hob gadling you know or 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 anyone else definitely wanted to wanted to fuck for sure (laughs) for centuries um but yeah or or someone who is just non-binary someone who clearly doesn't have um code as just female so for me i was just that was the one thing that kind of bugged me um the only one i i will say there is a big exception and johanna constantine Mm -hmm. um is uh bi or pan and they did emphasize that and she's kind of a good guy you know or a good person so yeah i think some of it has to do with just how the characters were written in the comics and you know, yeah. in, in this case, it's kind of harder to change that um, 
those aspects of them. Um, it does kind of suck that, you know, you have this like kind of, you have the serial killer nightmare who is already a deviant. Um, and yeah. then to add that to his like quote unquote deviancy is also, I mean, yeah, it's. That's why you, I just say make everyone queer. <laughs> so that way you never have to worry about it. Definitely dream could have been, you know, it, there's no reason why like they couldn't have added another ex who wasn't just not like female. So, yeah, I mean, I have. I also have a hard time imagining Stream getting it on because that man seems to it's have fine. issues. Yeah, I mean, look, they can just like sleep next to each other and hold hands, whatever it is they call. You know, they call sex. I mean, he's got to um, have. Uh, he's his, like he's definitely he's definitely created sex dreams, right? Yeah. Well, he's had a. <laughs> he also had a son. That is a plot point. You know, in this series. Oh. So whatever counts as sex for him, he did it. Um. So yeah. I, it was just it just it's a quibble of mine. Um, and there are, of course, you can always point to, to the exceptions in the series, but um, it kind of disturbed me. Uh, and that is a very throwback sort of thing when it comes to uh, representation in cinema is, yeah, like not only just um, before the barrier gays, there was definitely the evil gay um characters mm. so this kind of was just like yeah we need to make some of them also the heroes um but uh yeah uh we mentioned hob gadling just for a bit why don't we talk about that episode <laughs> yeah i mean i mean the concept was like this guy from 1389 you know makes this wish that he doesn't die and they decide to grant it for him to him as an experiment <laughs> yeah I, I mean it i liked it because i actually do love stories about gods making bets with each other um, mm -hmm. and especially because it's death and dream who are like the closest of the siblings and death seems to death knows what's up with dream and he, she she knows like how to push his buttons and how to like give him a push and so you can see, tell that, that i mean that one episode is all about death and dream and it's pretty mm -hmm. self-contained and mm -hmm. it's actually two one shots in one episode which is really mm -hmm. interesting um, choice to make after like a six episode arc, right? Yes, yes. It was a relief and it was very <laughs> funny too. And also ended on a very sweet note about friendship. Like, yeah. <laughs> who knew I needed that? And I, I do love the choice um, to give Death a lot of personality, a lot of like kind of like she enjoys what she does. It's mm -hmm. sad what she has to do, but it's also like she takes, you know, pride and joy in doing it and it doesn't bring her down. <laughs> Whereas Dream has a probably easier job but he has so much like crap in his head all these things that he can and can't do and it's really like kind of stressing him out right yeah he kind of reflects his sort of goth image basically he's a <laughs> he's a little anxious like i get it you know i understand he Drew. is he is totally <laughs> the little goth teen <laughs> yeah and so i mean that also is why i like the hobgadling um episode because you got to see dream in like various outfits throughout the centuries and i think it was the the 1500s one where i was like oh my god you're hot like this is like oh yeah like there were <laughs> hairstyles that once were really like fun. they went from dirty peasant look to like there was noble, one where he was like, like <laughs> he was wearing like like a leather outfit from the 80s and i was just like why is this this century i don't know but i like it um, but um, yeah. yeah, so that was just fun. And I do like that the um, the central theme and the, the central theme of at least this season of the Sandman is that hope is the strongest force, right? Like he believes that Hobgadling, having lived centuries, will eventually lose hope in humanity and wants for death. But then Hobbs like, no, this is great. Everything's always changing. Things will always get better, even if it gets worse. And then that that concept bewilders. Yes. Dream, right? Yeah, because the only thing that I think caused him to have a hiccup, which is totally understandable because also vampires go through this, is if you fall in love with someone because they are still mortal. And um, no matter what, even if he didn't face the tragedies that he faced, they would eventually have died. So <laughs> he would have outlived them. Um, but for him just to like keep on going, I was like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. And dreams all like, but humanity sucks. What are you talking about? <laughs> Which, you know, also true. We do suck a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yep. I, I feel you dream. Really, <laughs> I do. But, uh, you know, maybe that's his, Um, maybe that was the inspiration for his game winning big play against the devil 
in um I think it was mm-hmm. the third or fourth episode. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he we have a classic um, showdown with a an incarnation. So it's not playing chess against death. It is doing some sort of like uh, shape shifting showdown. Playing charades with, with Lucifer. <laughs> the yeah, with Lucifer. Yeah, <laughs> a shape shifting kind of like war i guess it reminded you know? me of like two five-year-olds fighting play, yeah. playing make-believe well <laughs> yeah now i have a bazooka well i have a nuke now <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it was perfect and you know in in some ways this does remind me besides all the people from doctor who are in it but it does remind me a little bit of doctor who because as big as the the concepts and and tragedy gets it almost always comes down to hope and love and human connection which kind of is the only thing that makes sense you know in this type of series (laughs) which i did and maybe this is just me being a cynical man (laughs) in 2022 but Mm -hmm. when he says what can defeat hope and Mm -hmm. i'm like tons of stuff we lived through yes. 2016. We lived through 2020. <laughs> what are yeah. you talking about? Yeah. Uh, we can name a few years that in the past um, our experience and just say 2020, yeah. 2021, we had, we, had a we had a president who ran on a hope and we had so yeah. much hope. And then you know yeah. what destroyed it? Yes. Bullshit. <laughs> um, uh. So <laughs> I, I don't know if we want to fast forward to the most recent episode. Um. Because we can do I whatever felt, we want. This is our podcast. We can talk okay. about Okay. Yeah. I didn't want to spoil too much, but I do feel like because this also feels slightly like a one-off that it's worth. And also because it does uh, feature a significant Asian. Um, but uh, we. Um, so the after the 10 episode season dropped a week later, they had a surprise episode drop. Um, and it was actually split into two parts. The first was an animated series called Dream of Thousand Cats. What did you think about the cat one? Because I was thinking, man, I w- would love this one. Except Until you watched it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was warned by a friend that as soon as Sandra O, oh, the cat, starts talking to um, fast forward to to the eight-minute mark. So <laughs> I am actually telling everyone on this podcast, if you haven't watched it and are about to, do that if you don't like animal cruelty, because there is a the story that Sandra O's character tells has to do with that in order to get to the point of her journey. Um, you don't need to know what it is. I even saw a few frames in fast forwarding and I so I got the gist of it. But um, so basically uh, we start out with a little kitten who goes on a um, who gathers and apparently they're all going to listen to this female cat say something wise but there's like what could it be and it's sandra oh as a siamese cat (laughs) um and so tragedy happens to her which we don't need to go into and that's why i agree this was probably not made for me they could have just taken that part out you know tragedy doesn't need to happen on screen let's just say just like rape doesn't have to happen on screen we know what it is um which by the way plays into the next part of the episode but yeah so and then you get into the part where it's kind of like fun it it completely is fantastical in a weird way. It's just a long, like, 15-minute cat joke, to be yeah. honest, right? Yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I appreciate it because I could totally see myself in the 80s, 90s getting that, like, um, volume and reading it. And some guys would have been like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, but this one, I was just like, okay, that was nice. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's... It's a long setup to the punchline. You can't make cats do anything. Well, the punchline is that's why cats are sleeping all the time. <laughs> you know, so um, they have a lot to do. And and what they're doing is sleeping for a purpose. Um, oh, yeah, no, so I they, thought I thought the punchline was you can't get a thousand cats to do the same thing at the same time. Like you can't oh, get cats yeah, to do no. anything yeah. at the same time. No, no I, I think that for me, that was fine. Like I, <laughs> I saw it the other way. But um, yeah, you know what? Open to interpretation. And then the other half of the episode was actually, for me, maybe the most disturbing thing beyond the animal cruelty bit. But uh, where basically um, Arthur Darville, who I love from Doctor Who, very sweet guy, um, also has been in Legends of Tomorrow, plays this writer 
who is, you know, after having a wonderful first book, is struggling. And he inherits a muse, one of those classical Greek muses from another novelist. And it's actually, you know, a person. And so he imprisons her. And also, you know what, even though when I was talking about it happening off screen, uh, yeah, no, he rapes her in order to get his uh, his creative juices flowing. So, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's kind of a mirror to that first episode, too. Which mm-hmm. is showing you, yeah, this is why this is why Dream hates humans, because humans mm-hmm. do shit like this, right? That's why he has such a dim view on humanity in the beginning of the series. And, you know, it starts to thaw throughout the series as he, be, you know, as he loses everything and has to, like, piece it back together. And is actually helped by the kindness of, of a lot of people, you know, even yeah. Jonah Constantine, who I still can't say that. I think yeah. Constantine <laughs> all the time, um, yeah. who is like... Also, like Dream, someone who's a huge cynic mm-hmm. because everyone like she, she's she's one of those tragic hero figures where like everyone close to her <coughs> dies horribly because she's dealing with devils and demons all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, yeah, you're right. So Dream has been imprisoned. Um, Calliope, the muse, has been imprisoned and also abused. And then uh, you also see that mention in the Hob Gadling episode where he's just like, oh, I got this great career track that's making me a lot of money. You know, it's mm-hmm. like there's a ship that goes across the sea and I get like sugar and all this other money back. And, and then Dream's like, uh, no, you can't do that. Well, <laughs> he's he, like, he gets sugar and stuff back in exchange for people. <laughs> in exchange the, for people. Yeah. yeah. So, and then Dream's like, uh, no. And it's like, he's like, I will take it upon advisement. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, slavery bad imprisonment of other people bad um and the excuses you make that they are not human no still uh that is the excuse all of them make you know like so it's 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 a running sort of theme um but yeah this one was a really hard episode to watch because um as i said uh arthur darrell is just such a wonderful character in doctor who and it's even though it's all animated right well no the second half is live action oh okay yeah, yeah. Okay. So animated is only when there's cats. <laughs> oh, got it, got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, it's uh, it's 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 disturbing in a way, and you actually don't see rape, by the way. Um, it is heavily implied, but that is also why I say you don't need it on screen. If you don't, we don't need cat cruelty on screen. <laughs> um, we don't, you know, any of that stuff. Enough of of an implication is uh, good enough. But um, yeah, so I have to say it's uh, because the season went through a bunch. um, I I liked some parts and I didn't love others. And I can see how some people would find it like sort of like disjointed. Uh, What did you think about, though, the arc with the serial convention? That was (laughs) it was interesting as someone who used to run conferences Mm-hmm. Because like, and this is something that I do like fantastical things in mm-hmm. mundane settings. Like it's one yes. of like my favorite types of stories. I'm not sure I like. I mean, conceptually, it was a fun romp. It was fun to see, you know, what a serial killer convention would look like. Yeah. But on the other hand, it was very disturbing the entire time. Yeah. It was very. <laughs> it was clever. like I'm I'm tickled, but should I be? Yeah, it was very clever. They had, you know, just like any convention, you can go to different rooms and see specific speakers for certain like genres, like all the women, you know, talking about comic books. Well, this is all the women who are serial killers and how they are gendered and like (laughs) sex dealing with sexism. I did Um, love the montage of Stephen Fry's character going to each and every room and realizing what kind of convention this is. Yes, yes. It's like... Oh, I get the pun. What a really bad pun. (laughs) Um, And uh, so, yeah, I think I agree that while I was partly tickled by everything, I half of me wanted them to maybe push it even further to make it clear that it was a little bit over the top. (laughs) But maybe that's what the point was to make it feel mundane. Um, Maybe. Yeah. And, you know, there's something funny about like we were just talking about how you know, you can't make cats do anything because they're so, like, independent. I mean, I, I have a feeling serial killers are the same way, but apparently they need community, too. So, you know, serial killers, just like us, I guess. 
Yeah, I have a story uh, of freelancers writing a story about this particular <laughs> thing coming up. And so I don't want to like really spoil that. It's like, yeah. go to salon.com and read it. <laughs> but um, it, I think it plays into other themes that like yeah, are very I mean, clear about people wanting to belong, but also following, you know, like Corinthian is such a like he's a celebrity. It's so ridiculous. I mean, Boy Holbrook is just a charming guy. I mean, I remember him in Logan as like a yeah. very charming bad guy. Um, I mean, he was terrifying, yeah. but just super like, yeah, I can see how people fall under his spell. He's just, super, a, yeah. just a nice little Southern guy who's like going to rip out your eyes. Super well cast. I, I really bow down about that. <laughs> I think that one worked very well. Um, and and I'm just glad that they didn't remove his glasses all the time, but the few <laughs> times they did, that was enough. That is something that is ongoing when I was growing up because it wasn't just Sandman. I definitely saw other like science fiction covers where like tongues were coming out of eyes and stuff like that. So I'm just like, you know, <laughs> bad orifices. Uh. <laughs> I mean, I think that's another thing we can talk about is just the amount of times that the Sandman goes into just horror genre. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the entire episode that takes place in a diner. That's just <gasps> one long psychological horror yeah. movie pretty much. That that one was just unpleasant. I felt like I get exactly what they were doing, but like I still feel the the last episode was more disturbing to me. But that this one was the diner one was definitely disturbing. Apparently, it was um, even more disturbing in the comics. This what, oh, what I've been reading. Oh yeah, I'm sure they showed all the splatter and all the whatever. Yeah, it was <laughs> so. Um, I do think that uh, a warning. They they give you the warning that there's sexual situations, violence, etc., nudity, but I still want to give an extra warning to anyone whose kids might want to watch it because they're like, there's an animated cat episode. And I'm like, no, don't let the kids <laughs> watch it. Don't let the kids watch yeah, any of Sandman this. Sandman is definitely adult supervision, very much required. Yeah, I think about that a lot because my my best friend, her youngest kid is about 13 right now mm. and so she wanted to go see bullet train and i and that's a lot of cartoony violence right and i was like here's the thing me at 13 sure her at 13 no because i think it <laughs> depends on like what they've been consuming and she's just been consuming stupid youtube videos mm. so uh, she didn't have the diet of like war films and other raunchy 80s comedies and other stuff that uh, i grew up on I guess, yeah, because me at thirteen have already, I've already, I've, I've already been watching like high concept like Japanese series about exactly existential, abstract, yeah, concepts watched, of like Jungian psychology and like, yeah, I watch a lot of violent, <laughs> violent things. I read comic books for sure, so I it, it got exposed to a lot of that stuff. Um, but yeah, people, kids. Depending on your kid, like no, it's not always the same. But so yeah, this is not for kids. Maybe a very mature uh, teen. Although it does get you thinking about abstract concepts like hope and dreams and desire. Mm-hmm. And I, I did love that um, the two shitty siblings uh, who just like <laughs> the twins, like, yeah, who f things up for dream are dr- desire and despair, which uh-huh. are kind of kind of really two sides of the same thing. You know, they both yeah. involve wanting something that you don't have. Right, wanting mm-hmm. something that you can't have, mm-hmm. and Neil Gaiman is just such a—he's just a smart guy, right? He's, yeah, yeah. You know, to have all these concepts be related to each other, and also I'll start with D. It takes, you know, like well, how do how does it happen? Is that like a shower <laughs> moment? Is that like? I am glad that this series is something that he approved of because I think it's better for it because I can easily see everything that we've talked about on this episode being noted to death because none of it is very mm. mainstream right this is there's there's no fights i mean mm-hmm. yeah there are like no fights in the entire series yeah not in the traditional sense because like the lucifer fight was not a physical hand-to-hand thing <laughs> yeah so. and then you know um john constantine just exercises demons he doesn't actually like go hand-to-hand like if you're thinking about this as like oh it's a dc series it must have like awesome fights like no it's just people talking to each other for most of the time and like philosophizing yeah i mean the most fights you get is like a bunch of serial killers stabbing a dude that's not really a fight though (laughs) 
that's not a fight. Not at all. It was uneven. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But um, yeah, the one thing that I also had kind of an issue with is, and I think this is after coming off of Prey, which was such a beautiful looking piece of media. Mm-hmm. Like it definitely like I wish that I wish that Sandman had a bigger like Sandman deserves the biggest special effects budget you can throw at it because you're talking about dreamscapes. You're talking about all these like wide shots, fantastical things. And a lot of like, whenever they needed to go CG for effects, it just looks like a Netflix show, right? Like a Netflix size budget was put into it. And it was kind of a bummer because like you had this huge moment and the special effects are kind of, I mean, they're serviceable, but they weren't great. They, they spent all the budget on stranger things. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, obviously we had a lot of thoughts on the Sandman. We didn't even touch on like the beginning arc where he was like trapped in that cube yeah. for like a century or like the consequences of that because like a lot of this is about him dealing with the consequences of him leaving and things changing. Mm-hmm. And that's like another theme, right? Like things like even concepts like dreams can change. Um and that's part of, you know, and that's part of the hope, like that things can get better. The enemy of like hope is rigidity, like is things staying the same. Like if right. things can never change, then what's the what's the point of, you know, what's the yeah. point of hoping for anything? Right. Ooh. All right. So Han, is the Sandman good pop? Yeah, I think so. Even though I am, I think it's inconsistent for sure. But I think the concepts are the thing and the base level just creativity of this type of storytelling you know it's like several decades old still in some ways is very fresh um as a concept and so i would like to see more people think along these lines or at least different lines because we are getting more of the same in just recycled form um reboot revivals whatever um we got house of the dragon that's just game of thrones again like so i'm just really happy that this got made yeah it's definitely something that got made based on the enormity of the Sandman as a property, right? This is, has been, people have been trying to make this into film or TV for decades. And the fact that we were able to get it in this form, I think is amazing. And I think it goes to the strength of Neil Gaiman's name, having had many successes with the American Gods and other things that he's done. Um, the, the success of just the Sandman as like a known quantity. Um, I personally am amazed that, you know, in this current climate of everyone getting super conservative about what they green light and what they put out that this series got made and was super successful, right? It got like what? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know numbers, but it definitely Mm. has been in the top 10 for Netflix since it premiered and it's been staying up there. And I think part of it is because it does have all these different arcs. um, And it means that people can like not binge it all at once. They can save stuff and watch it over period of weeks so um yeah i think it's it's fresh and people are like checking it out so i think even those who may not think it's for them um at least give it a try you can always stop but you know there are different parts to it for sure that might appeal and i'm definitely with everyone saying we need a constantine spinoff maybe like a multiversal thing between um keanu reeves jenna coleman and whoever plays them in that tv series matt ryan yeah yeah. <laughs> Constantine. You're just going to have one guy saying Constantine and then she's going to be saying Constantine and they're just going to argue about that. So. As long as I get Jenna Coleman and Keanu Reeves on the same screen together, um, I'll take I, it. I, I will take all that hotness. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, on that note, that'll do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, Han, thank you for dreaming with me as we talk about the Sandman. <laughs> um, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? I am on Twitter at Anonymous. And you can find me at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. Um, the Good Pop Culture Club is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts. Um, check out our fellow Potluck pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, I think I'm going to need a big old nap after that conversation. But uh, as I drift off to dreamland, um, thank you so much for joining us again on Good Pop. And we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.
I'm Phil Yu, and I'm the host of All the Asians on Star Trek, the podcast in which I interview all the Asians on Star Trek. I'm talking to actors, writers, directors, stunt people, background extras. You know, all the Asians on Star Trek. Find out more at alltheasiansonstartrek.com. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Live long and prosper.